Romans chapter 5 is where we're at today. We're taking another little break from Matthew. So please find Romans chapter 5 and stand with me to read God's Word. This week and next we'll we'll be focusing upon the amazing love of God, seen first in the death of Christ and then in the resurrection of Christ. We're going to read Romans 5, verses 6 through 9. This is God's word. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, even though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we come to you today needy. And if we would admit it, bankrupt. And in need of a word from you, in need of your power, in need of truly understanding your love. Lord, we, we ask that you would defrost our hearts now, that we, would, that we would see wonderful things in your word, that we would rejoice in you, and that we would in turn do in your strength whatever you call us to do. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. Amazing love, the death of Christ. The death of Christ for sinners. The love of God is seen amazingly in the gruesome death of the Son of God. And in Christ's death, we have a perfect picture of God's love. A a perfect picture of the immeasurable love of God for us. What we see as we read these verses is that there is a personal experience of God's love that comes as a result of Christ's death. What I want you to see today is that first I I want to see what happened. What happened regarding the death of Christ? What did God do? And then what what is happening as as time goes on from that point on? What is is God doing? And, And third, we'll take a look at what might happen. What God might do in us and through us. What, what, what we should do in response to His amazing love through the death of Christ. Now we're looking at Romans chapter 5 today and, and we're, we're landing, we're basically airlifting ourselves into, into the midst of a chapter. So we need to know what is going on. We need to know what is being said. And, and, and first and foremost, what is being said here is, is really a, a summary of, of God's love in Christ through the death of Christ. In the context, it is telling us how much God loves us, but the context is that of believers being made right with God by faith. That, that mankind is lost in sin, that he can't save himself, that he goes to uh, many, uh, as, as far as you can go in sin, man goes in sin. But that God has, has done what man couldn't do. 
And so in the context, we're talking about how you are made right with God through faith in Christ and then the resulting peace that you have with God. We who were enemies, we who were hostile against God, now we are, we are at peace with Him through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we read in the early verses of Romans chapter 5 that we have obtained access by faith into, into the grace in which we stand. There is a gifting from God towards those who were lost sinners. And so we are able now to rejoice, not just to rejoice in what we've been given, but rejoice in everything that comes our way. Sufferings, knowing that they produce endurance, and that endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and we are not put to shame. Because God's love, verse 5 tells us, has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then we come to this this summary of what happened. Paul is saying that while we were still weak, we couldn't do anything for ourselves. While we were still helpless at the right time, and it was a good time, Christ died for the ungodly. So what happened? First and foremost, Christ died for ungodly sinners. He died for us. It's a truth that was told long before it actually happened. The prophets foretold this death. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the very first prophecy in the Bible. What did God say? And I will put enmity between you and the woman. He is speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and I will, it will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's a prophecy of, of the coming Savior who would come into the world at the right time. In Numbers chapter 21, which is also referenced in John chapter 3, we see how God sent fiery serpents among the people because of their sins and in judgment upon them. And the serpents bit the people. Snakes. Snakes all around the people. Uh, makes you want to squirm. But this is what happened. And many, many people died as a result. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He would take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And then God said to Moses, you take a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and it will come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looks upon it shall live. And so he made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole and it came to pass that if a serpent bit any man when he beheld the serpent of brass he lived. It was pointing to Jesus Christ in John chapter 3 and verse 12. Jesus said, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who ascended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That looking to Jesus, that believing in Jesus would bring a person eternal life based upon what Jesus would do. Psalm 22, actually the entire psalm, Psalm 22, 
speaks of, of Jesus on the cross, written basically a thousand years ahead of time. Verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those were Christ's first words from the cross. A lot of people think it was because God forsook Jesus at the cross. But could it have been that Jesus was drawing our attention to this psalm? Drawing the attention of whoever stood by the cross to Psalm 22 that started with forsaking but ended in victory? Drawing our attention to the psalm as he hung on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out from the cross those, those words. Verse 14, I am poured out like water all of my bones are out of joint blood and water from Jesus' side bones out of joint from hanging on the cross he says in verse 16 dogs have circled me the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me they have pierced my hands and my feet Christ's hands and feet pierced while as he was nailed to the cross verse 18 they part my garments among them they cast lots for them And then, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Isaiah chapter 50 says, I gave my back to the smiters. I gave my my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. One of the worst things you could do to a person is spit upon them. It was shameful. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred behind, beyond human semblance his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And then we come to Isaiah 53. This, this, this prophecy of, of Christ. Who has believed what they heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus died for ungodly sinners. The prophets foretold that act long before it happened. Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace that peace that Paul could speak of in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all the gospel writers recorded the death of Christ for sinners Matthew begins, Matthew one twenty one. 
She shall bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Then you look at the end of every gospel, and the cross is at the end of every gospel because Christ's death and resurrection is the pinnacle of the gospel story. Matthew chapter 27. Begin at verse 32. You see the crucifixion of Christ. They went, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. They killed him on the cross. Mark chapter 15 Begin at verse 21. They compelled a nearby passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not taste it. And they crucified him. Almost the same words. Luke chapter 23. Why do you want to go and, and see what every gospel writer said because they're recording the death of Christ. Luke chapter 23, begin at verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it before Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. By the way, two others, verse 32, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals. Jesus died. Verse 44, it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. In John chapter 19. We don't like to relive bad experiences. And some of us don't want to go and read again about the cross. We want to read about the resurrection. We've got to go to the cross first. John chapter 19 and verse 17. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place of a skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, there they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The gospel writers recorded the death of Christ because the death of Christ is integral to the preaching of Christ. The apostles preached Christ crucified. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. Peter takes his stand with the eleven. He stands up boldly and authoritatively, preaches Christ. 
And he says in verse 23 of Acts chapter 2, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul, in Galatians chapter 2, Verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He died. He says I do not nullify the grace of God for if justification were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. The prophets foretold it. The gospel writers recorded it. The apostles preached it. And we must believe it. That Christ died for sinners. To preach Christ means to preach Christ crucified. To believe that the death of Christ on the cross is the atoning sacrifice. Is the very center and heart of preaching Christ. Paul says Christ died while we were yet sinners. Christ died while we were still helpless. Christ died for his enemies. Now who would die for, his en- for an enemy? At a time when we were powerless to help ourselves. Strapped to the executioner's block. Our head on the block. Guilty as charged. About to die. Jesus steps forward and takes our place. In a godless country country of people in in a godless culture people will ask what does love have to do with all this the valid question in god's word in paul's day and in ours love has everything to do with the cross back in romans chapter 5 we read that God's love, verse 5, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Believers know this, that, that God's love has been poured out into their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Points our thinking back to the space and time reality of that love, the day that Jesus sacrificed himself for his enemies. We see his love in action. So what is happening from that point on? What is God doing? What has God done? You've got the glorious, amazing love of God seen in the death of Christ in many ways. And I'll point out there are many, many things we could say about these verses and about these, this truth. But let me point out a couple things. A few things. Romans 5, 6 through 9 shows us God's love in Christ is, is amazing and in, in, in many different ways, and there's many ways we could say it. But God's love in Christ, first of all, is amazingly practical. It is practical. Verse 6 says, while we were still weak, 
At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, God meets us at our very point of need. At our very point of need. Christ died for the ungodly. At the decisive moment in time, He died. Now, verse 5, where it says that God poured out His, His love into our hearts. It's been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He's given us. He, he meets us at our point of need, and when He saves us, He gives us exactly what we need, Himself. By the way, this is the first mention of the Holy Spirit in, in the book of Romans. It's relation, uh, in relation to the life of the believer uh, coming in context of justification by faith. And John Stott brings out three things that it means. First, if you've been justified by faith, you have received the Holy Spirit. God has met you at your point of need, and He has given you His Holy Spirit. Secondly, the giving of the Holy Spirit is connected with the act of justification, meaning that everyone who is justified has experienced the Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit's presence. And third, the Holy Spirit bears witness to a believer that God loves him or her. Romans 8 tells us the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God's love is amazingly practical, meets us at our point of need, and gives us exactly what we need. It is also perfect. It is perfect. Galatians 4.4 says, At the right time, at the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. That word sent forth, the Greek word is ekbalo. It means He threw Him down from heaven to earth. Cast Him down from heaven to earth for a purpose, to die for our sins. To trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ died for sinners. What type of situation were those, were those sinners in? Well, Ephesians 2 tells us. Verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked once, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, destined to die for our sins. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's practical and it's perfect. Verse 7, uh, Romans 5, verse 7 says, One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Perfectly timed, perfectly applied, perfectly focused. There are so many stories, by the way, of Christ-like figures in art and literature that die for people. But dying for enemies is a whole other story. Different by far from man's love, which has stipulations and has limits. There's only so far we will go in our love. 
God's love is practical. He gives us exactly what we need in Christ, and it is, it is perfect. It is also personal. Very, very, very personal. Verse 8 says, God demonstrates His own love for us. That love, and, and by the way, Paul is speaking to believers here. His own love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place. We, we read in 1 John that we love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us and what? Send His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, the mercy seat for our sins. He took our place. He substituted Himself in our place. We, the, the weak... The helpless, verse 6. The, the ungodly, verse 6. The sinners, verse 8. That's us. Jesus died for us. It is intensely personal. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. But how about for the person who has treated you the worst? How about for the person who beat you up and abused you and bullied you and picked on you? That's who Jesus died for, his enemies. And it's intensely personal. It is for us. And it's powerful. It is powerful. It is life-changing powerful. How can we read that there is no condemnation, Romans 8, 1, for those who are in Christ Jesus? Why is that so? Because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Romans 8.3 For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He condemns sin in the flesh. Powerful. Romans 5.9 tells us Since therefore now we have been justified by His blood much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. It's like we're on that conveyor belt going towards the churning turbine that's going to spew us up and spit us out. And at the, at the, at the perfect time, Christ dies for us. At the perfect time, in His power, He saves us from His wrath. From the ultimate penalty, from the inevitable penalty... We're saved from the wrath of God through Him. We're tied to the train tracks and the the train is hurtling down those tracks. And it's powerful love that saves us. God's amazing love transforms the hearts and lives of all who come to Him by faith. By His Word, He he changes our hearts. He, He transforms our minds. He washes us by His Word. We are saved by by Him from the wrath of God. If you are into doing laundry, there are a lot of powerful cleansers out there tied with bleach and things like that. It gets those stains out. But the the, the blood of Christ applied with love, that's how we lose all of our guilty stains.
What happened? Christ died for us. Amazing love. Calvary love. Perfect. Powerful. Sacrificing. Suffering. Substituting. Saving. What is happening is that since then, God has been calling people to turn from their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They would be saved. So we've got to get to the what might happen. What could God do in us? What should we do? If you're a believer, what should you do in response to the amazing love of God in Christ? And if you're not a believer, what should you do in response to hearing of the amazing love of God in Christ? God pours out His love not to no purpose. God pours out His love so that we would believe, so that we would rejoice, so that we would fully yield to Christ, that we would relinquish every control, every claim, every right. So that we would love God and others practically and perfectly and personally and, and powerfully. And don't get hung up on the perfectly. God is maturing us. God is growing us. We're going to use that word perfectly in terms of us in the idea that we aren't perfect only god is perfect but he is he is conforming us to the image of christ if you're a believer that we would god pours out his love so that we would so that we would demonstrate his love and being willing because we are yielded to him to go anywhere at any time to reach anyone To do anything God wants. How does that play out practically? Well, in whatever ways God puts on our hearts. That's how it plays out practically. In whatever good way God has put on your heart, that's how it'll play out practically as you go and do that. Part of our response should be extreme, humble thankfulness before God at the mercy given at the cross when Christ died a murderer's death in our place. We were sitting on death row and Jesus walked into our cell and put on our clothes and went to the cross. How will that play out perfectly? We aren't perfect. Only God is perfect but he is conforming us to the image of his son if you're a believer so would you die for charles manson would you die for the worst terrorist you can think of would you die for your next door neighbor would you die for your worst enemy no you would not but would you die for your closest loved one maybe Maybe. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still his ungodly, sinful enemies, Christ died for us. We cannot fathom that love 
You wouldn't choose willingly to die for a death row inmate. The Father sent the Son to die for the scum of the earth, scraping the bottom of the barrel to save people like me and you. Gutter rat people. Lowlifes. Beggars. Thieves. The spiritually, criminally insane. Every one of us. Martin Luther King uh, preached a sermon once and said this. I've said to you, he said this to his congregation, I said to you on many occasions that each of us is something of a schizophrenic personality. We're split up and divided against ourselves. And there is something of a civil war going on within all of our lives. There is a recalcitrant south of our soul revolting against the north of our soul. And there is this continual struggle within the very structure of every individual life. There is something within all of us that causes us to cry out with Ovid, the Latin poet, I see and approve the better things of life, but the evil things I do. There is something within all of us that causes us to cry out with Plato that the human personality is like a charioteer with two headstrong horses, each wanting to go in different directions. There is something within each of us that causes us to cry out with Goethe, there is enough stuff in me to make both a gentleman and a rogue. There is something within each of us that causes us to cry out with the Apostle Paul. I see and approve the better things of life, but, but the evil things I do. You know, some people call themselves perfectionists. Some of you fancy yourself perfectionists. You do nothing perfectly. Get a handle on that. Get a grip on that. We do everything imperfectly. On our best day, we're woefully inadequate. On our best day, we're broken down. Every day God does all things well. Every day God does all things perfectly. Jesus' statement, by the way, to love your enemies. Shocking in its radical uh, implications and reverberations. We're already guilty of violating the law to love God and love our neighbor. So how much do we fail to, to, to Jesus' call to love our enemy? It should drive us to repentance. And when we repent, God always gives forgiveness and grace in Christ. How is this going to play out personally? A real person reaching out to other real people with God's love how's that going to play out personally it's not going to be us helping those little people it's going to be when we know how needy we are that we are lame that we are broken that we are deaf that we are blind and we're just beggars and we're made alive in Christ and we're made given sight in Christ and we're hearing God's word and so it's interesting people are talking about this 640 million dollars everybody wants 640 million dollars 
We're, we're beggars, we're blind, we're lame, we're bankrupt, and we want to go get $640 million we didn't earn. People spending hard-earned money to win something they did not earn? Well, just turn to sports, though. In sports, in art, even, in science, so much energy and time given to win a prize that you can drop on the ground and break. Or bragging rights. All of it destined to burn. Isaiah 55.1 will help us out. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. It was finished at the cross. So what do we become? We become a beggar telling other beggars where to get the bread. A destitute, bankrupt person telling other destitute, bankrupt people where they can have their sin debt forgiven. That's it. End of story. Praise God and do that. And it will come about powerfully as we yield to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we could all say, well, let's just, let's have, let's set up a a mat here and we'll just do feats of strength. Who's the strongest? Who can lift the heaviest thing? And, and some things we just don't have the power to do. What if there was a sword and a stone and we couldn't pull it out? Or a giant boulder we couldn't move? What if it was on top of you? You know, Aaron Ralston uh, got himself stuck under a big boulder that he couldn't move. And he would have died if he wouldn't have cut off his own arm to free himself. We don't have a jackknife. We can't even do that. We're so weak. You know, when you're young, you're really weak. When you're a little baby, you're really weak. You're you're dependent upon everybody else. And then you grow up a little bit and you get a little bit stronger and you think, wow, I'm strong. Then you get older and you think, wow, I'm weak. We were always that way, spiritually speaking. We were powerless to do even the least for ourselves. And God did it all for us while we were enemies. Whatever we do, we do it in the strength which God supplies and provides and gives. God pours out his love so that we would believe and believe and have life in Christ's name. Will you believe the good news of Jesus dying for sin? If so, believe and be saved. Turn from your sins and be saved. Do you believe it? Then pour all your energy into yielding to Christ. Pour all your energy into serving Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, may we be inspired to praise you and love you and share Jesus and love each other and serve you who came not to be served but to serve and give your life as a ransom for many. We know the truth that only believers know and understand your amazing love. We, we say with, with Bernard of Clairvaux, the love of Jesus, what it is only his loved ones know. And with Wesley, amazing love, how can it be that you, our God, 
should die for us. That we would be saved from your wrath and sin's power and penalty and ultimately its presence. That we would even have the gift to serve your purposes in our generation. Lord, our desire is that you would receive glory in your church and in the world through Jesus Christ. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory.